The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you. We are wrapping up a seven uh, kind of week series that we've been doing all winter on God's design and uh, excited to kind of land a plane. A big, big morning this morning uh, for us. So um, it was a big weekend. We had a marriage conference Friday night, Saturday morning in here. Then it flipped over into a, a group called Blitz, fifth and sixth graders. There's like 80 or 90 of them running all around in here. Flip that over, it turns into a square dance for international students last night, hosted by our singles ministry. And um, there's a team from Cambodia back today. So they were out visiting Rafa Ministries in Cambodia, rescuing girls from human trafficking. I, it's on, like there's lots, lots going on around here. Just really thankful uh, for this church and what you guys are doing. So um, this morning, we are gonna talk about singleness. We are gonna talk about biblical community. And then we're gonna try to save a little time at the end to answer a few of the questions that were asked last week in kind of a Q&A format about this whole series. So, um, and uh, I got sick with that flu that's going around this week. On Tuesday, I got nailed and kind of been struggling to get back to normalcy. My laptop crashed Wednesday and was out of commission Wednesday and Thursday. John Swinski was my savior this week with my laptop. Um, it's been the least, uh, it, I am about as far behind as you can possibly be in a person's life. So three people this morning said, when we are weak, then we are strong. And that's, if anything happens this morning, that's the story. So um, would you pray this morning, would you pray first that, that God would speak to you, that we've come in, we're distracted, there's lots of things going on in our lives. Could you pray that in these minutes that God from his word would speak to you this morning? <clears throat> And then I ask you to do this. I try to do this every week, but especially this week. Could you just pray that God would give me uh, the strength to clearly communicate uh, his words to us this morning? God, we've got some amazing things to talk about this morning. And would you please be our teacher today? Would you give us strength to hear and then do what you're calling us to do? In your great name we pray. Amen. Um, All right. So... Um, let's, we've been in a series called God's Design. We're trying to look at what does the Bible say about us. And the Bible is a beautiful um, description of who God is. He's a loving designer. Uh, he's created all of us in his image. That gives us amazing dignity and significance that God invites every one of us to find our identity in him, our relationship in him, that he wants to fulfill us and, and satisfy us. And really, he's wired us to be loved by him so that we can invest our lives loving and serving the people in, in our lives. And that's the essence of, of knowing God and being loved by him and then loving others. So um, we've looked at how that applies to marriage, how that applies to sexuality, how that applies to families um, and gender and just all kinds of things that are very hot topics in our culture today. So this morning I'm really honored to, to speak for a few minutes about what God says about singleness. In our country today, 52% of the United States is single, okay? We have many single people in our church this morning. Um, And oftentimes, churches don't talk a lot about singles. They do marriage conferences like we did, and those are good things. And we'll talk about family ministries and those kind of things. But a lot of times, uh, the American church does not just pause and even recognize what the Bible says about singleness. I got married in my early 30s, and so I lived my 20s as a single man, and so um, I know we have a variety of scenarios in our church for people who are single, and and you talk to some people who are single, and there were times during my single years that it was awesome. I loved being single. I loved the freedom. I loved the time. I got to do a lot of, I did a lot of youth ministry in those days, and it just really freed me up to do a lot of things that I wouldn't have otherwise have gotten to do talked to some people and there were moments in my singleness too where that wasn't a, wasn't a fun thing it was like because you look around at your peers and it's almost like there's this checklist in life you graduate from college you get a job you you get married you start having kids and you start seeing all your peers progressing on that checklist and then there's you it's hard not to start comparing or being jealous or or getting mad at god okay so that kind of stuff can factor in there um sometimes we're single and it wasn't our choice like sometimes uh, a divorce rocked our world, or sometimes we've lost 
a teammate, just a very moving funeral I did last year. Uh, teammates for 53 years, you know, just loved each other profoundly. And now, you know, there's a single woman because her husband is, is in heaven, you know. And so uh, just all kinds of scenarios. Um, and so what does the Bible say um, about singleness? And so I want to hit three quick things here this morning. Um, and the first is this is that the essence of our identity is not grounded in our marital status, okay? The Bible makes that really clearly. In fact, I gotta be really careful here, but when you look at the way particularly Jesus taught about the family, please know the Bible is huge marriage, huge family, like the Bible is for those things. But there are times when the Bible talks about um, a, 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 a set of relationships that far transcend even marriage, and even parenting, and even family, okay? So let me just show you a couple of those. In the book of Isaiah, for example, um, it says this, for, this is what the Lord said, for thus said the Lord to the eunuchs, so that's people that cannot have children, uh, so they're not married, they're not having children, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons, and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I mean, it's an amazing honor to be a parent, to be called dad, or to be called mom. But God just right out here is just flat out saying, you know what, if you're a, a person who does not have children, unable to have children, um, and you are so in love with me, you're responding to my love for you, um, and you're holding fast to my covenant, then in my house, there are within my walls a monument, a name, better than sons or daughters. The name of being known as God's son or daughter. The, the name of being able to call God our father. He says those things transcend, are even greater than, are even more profound than the earthly blessing of being a bearer of the name mom or, or dad. Uh, Jesus seemed to do this in many times too. In Matthew 22, for example, there was a group of people, religious leaders, called the Sadducees that didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they tried to stump the Savior. They tried to trick Jesus up at different times. And one way they tried to do that is they gave this just weird scenario of, let's say this woman gets married to a guy and then he dies. And then she marries his brother and, and then he dies. And she marries another, basically goes seven times. First, you got to wonder, what's up with this woman? Like, why, why are seven guys dying off with her? But then, so their punchline is like, so, and then at the end, uh, at, in the resurrection, Jesus, if there's really a resurrection, whose husband is she going to be? Like, there's seven guys she was married to, and it's just interesting. Jesus doesn't go there, but he says this in Matthew twenty-two thirty. 30, he says, for in the resurrection, they will neither marry or being given in marriage, but, like, but they will be like the angels in heaven. So basically Jesus said, you know what? In heaven, there's not going to be, there's not going to be marriage. We talked about this last week. One of the prime reasons that God has marriage on the planet today is to be an example of Christ's love for the church. But when you're in heaven, you're going to just be there. You're going to be loved by Jesus in his presence. You will need that example. He'll be right there. And so um, maybe this... Uh, maybe just, you know, sometimes uh, you think, okay, so if my, if my wife dies before me and she's in, in heaven, like, is she going to miss me? Like, is she just going to be longing for me? <laughs> maybe not to disrespect you guys, but I'm going to say no. Like, because, like, she's going to be in the presence of the one who loves her the fullest. And, you know, and so it's like when you get there to join her, she's like, oh, where have you been? It's been miserable up here. She's going to be obviously glad to see you. Like, you're going to get eternity together with the people you love. But she's going to be in the presence, you know, Psalm 1611 says, in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Like, just, again, I'm trying not to belittle marriage, but it just seems like the Bible in just several instances just elevates guys you understand how beautiful it is that you are loved by your creator and that he blesses you and just invests in you and he calls you by name and you can call him daddy. So here's another example. One time Jesus was walking along and somebody just shouted out from the crowd. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Did Jesus love his mom? Did he? Yeah, that, yes, you can say yes. Like there are many times he honored Mary. He loved his mom. But did you hear what he just did there? Like somebody's trying to praise Mary, just like how amazing it must have been to be your mom. And she's like, you know what? You know what real blessing is? 
is to be a people that just knows God, so loved by God that when he speaks to you, you get to hear words from God. And then when you do those words, you are blessed. Like, wow, he's just elevating this. One other one, um, Matthew 12. Uh, there was a time where Jesus and, was teaching and then his mom and his brothers showed up. And so somebody said, hey, Jesus, your mom and brothers are here. And it says, but Jesus replied to the man and told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. What you see throughout the scripture is that our ultimate identity is not our marital status or not am I a parent or not, but the ultimate amazing uh, identity we can have is to be in relationship with our creator, okay? And so, in fact, I would say this. I used to, when I taught high school students about God's design for love, sex, marriage, and dating, I used to tell them this. I said, you're not really ready to be married until you understand, like, the supreme relationship is is you and God. And that is, that is an incredibly satisfying relationship. No man, no woman, no marriage, no set of kids, no family relationship can touch what you have in your relationship with God and your relationship, even Jesus elevated, your relationships with others who are following God and are obeying his word together, all right? So number one, identity is grounded in your relationship uh, with Christ, okay? Second one is this, you look through the scripture, uh, there's some teaching about singleness being a gift, that singleness is a gift. I mean, there were times in my single years, it's like, this doesn't feel like a gift, okay? But, but look at 1 Corinthians 7, 7 to 8. This is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, for example, it's interesting that when Jesus, you know, when God sent his son to the earth, Jesus never married. Like Jesus valued uh, singleness in that the son of God lived the most fulfilled life ever, and he was single. The Apostle Paul wrote almost half the New Testament, and he did his ministry as a single man. This is what he said about that. He said, I wish that all were as, my, as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single uh, as I am. And so he's calling this a gift. And you say, Paul, why? Why is singleness a gift to you? First Corinthians 7, 29, Paul says that the appointed time has grown short. Paul was just aware of how urgent this life is, how there are so many needs, there are so many things to do, uh, and, and God is, we're in relationship with God, and he's saying, hey, I can use you to go and just meet these needs, and so Paul was so aware of that, that he said things like this, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 to 35, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties, okay, and so here, he's not meaning like sin anxiety, like worrying and freaking out, he's just talking about the common cares of this world, okay, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious uh, or concerned about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. And again, he's not meaning sinful. He's just saying like common, just normal husband, dad, family kind of concerns, okay? Um, he's anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And so I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So again, Paul's saying, I'm not saying these things to confine you. I'm saying these things to set you free, that you can be secure in your undivided devotion to the Lord. I would say that uh, in my 20s, as a single man, um, I would I'd give me maybe an 80 to 90% of the time, I was good with that. Like I just, there was a lot to do. And, and um, I worked with students at that time. And just looking back, there were th some things in my life that my extra time leveraged me to get to help and do things in people's lives that I'm not sure I would have otherwise. Um, I was thinking back this morning, there's just, just stories. It's humbling when you can think back of uh, of how God has, has, has used you to help someone. There was, I remember I was leading a youth ministry in Texas at the time. We had a kid in our group named Jammin. His name was Jeff, but everybody called him Jammin. And it was one of those sad nicknames because nobody thought he was Jammin. He uh, was you know, hunched over, always had uh, 
just you know, uh, it was, uh, he was um, from a, a very poor background, um, B.O., no social skills. Like he'd come up and just tap me, you know, like I'm trying to lead something and there's a bunch of kids around and he'd be tapping on you and you go, yes? And he goes, hi. You know, and like, you know, it's like one, you know, uh, so, you know, <laughs> the kind of person that I have to say, a lot of times my heart just flies by and it was after about a year or so of being around jamming that I just started thinking about, okay, now what's Jammin's story here? What's going on? And Jammin came to church because Grandma brought him. Okay, there's something going on here. What's, what's happening in Jammin's home, Jammin's home? And I just started seeing what was going on there. It just, God just crushed my heart. It's like, Doug, you got to step in there. And you got to help this guy do some things. It's not happening from his dad. Um, so I was the one that got to, <laughs> had a stick shift car at that time. It was probably a mistake. I got to teach Jammin how to, how, to, how to drive, you know. And so I'm still alive by the grace of God. And that car probably lost 50,000 miles on that. But it got, got that privilege. And then when it was time, the kid was incredibly brilliant to take him on college visits, to take him to College Station and look at Texas A&M. And how do you get in there? And to take him to Laterno College. And just um, those were some of the longest road trips I've ever been on. But at the same time, God just kept crushing my heart for this guy. Um, and they're just stories like that, that just when you are, are undistracted by, again, the concerns of being a husband and a dad, God just leverages you. And I just, I just want to say, I see that value just permeate so many singles in this church. I just, I see that. Maybe I have a special eye for that because I was that for a season. And I just really appreciate um, our grad group, for example, um, and Crossroads Ministries, you will see those single adults serving throughout this church. I spoke there about a month ago, and at the start of the time, they're passing around a sign-up sheet to work in the nursery. Isn't that awesome? They, they helped with the hoedown last night. They put it on and flipped this church and, and, and got it ready to go. So wherever you look, you just see. And Andrew Hancock is our, our, our young adult pastor. He's a single man. He loves his church. And you just see that reflected in his ministry. He's just constantly pointing his people to this church and how do you serve and how do you, you know, help families? How do you serve? And it's just a beautiful picture. In fact, one of the ministries here that I feel like uh, is, is making some traction in this community is what we see happening on the southeast side with this spot and with Faith Academy. Do you know what started that for us was about 15 years ago, there was a single man named Scott Johnson. If you know Scott, there was, Scott was an interesting guy. Scott used to just load his van with kids from the Broadway area and bring them to Parkview. I don't know if you were here during some of those days where it would be like a circus act. Like how many kids are going to get out of that van this morning and just stepping into for them what was a new culture and for us is like, whoa, who are these kids? You know, and so it was really that that started catching our attention as a church. Like, who are these kids? And who is caring for them and what could be done for them? And, and then a college student named Doug Fern comes along and starts volunteering with those kids as well. And you see those two men maximizing their singleness to pursue some kids that a majority of us might just kind of walk by because of being distracted with the worries and the cares and the concerns of. And so just to see really there are, uh, there are so many of you that are heroic in that, that are single and you're using your singleness. Uh, to be devoted to Jesus Christ and to serve his people and to get his gospel out. And to that, I just say praise. I praise God for you. Singleness really is a gift. And the last point I just want to say here too is that singleness is hard. Singleness is hard. We saw this in God's design. Last week, we talked about God's design for marriage. In Genesis 2.18, the first thing God said was not good about this world was that man was alone. And so that verse then propels us into God's design for marriage. So if you're single, you're going, okay, God, you saw that it was not good that man was alone. You created marriage. Now, hey, what's up? You know, like, what about, what about here? And so um, I think we got to look again at Jesus, and we got to look at Paul. And, and Jesus was relentless and intentional about relationships. Jesus had, um, you, you look through the Gospels, and he had his 70 that was kind of like a, a big group of people that followed him and did his teaching and served with him. He had his 70, then he has 12. He had his disciples. And out of those disciples, he had his three, Peter, James, and John. And that when he's praying right before his crucifixion, those are the three guys who's just right there with him. And even out of those three, 
he had is John. You know, John was the disciple that kept, whenever he would write the Gospel of John, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. It just, it just had to just humble him. Out of all the people on the planet, Jesus had a very close friendship with John. And so, and so we see Jesus modeling for that, the need for relationships. Paul did the same thing, and he had teammates who traveled with him. He had married couples that were on his ministry team. And so relationships are essential. And so uh, to um, the singles here, I would say just be in pursuit of that as a church we love providing a singles ministry, and there's a kiosk in the foyer to let you know more information about that. We also love that we're providing community groups, and we have stories of singles and, and single parents who are finding community in these, these groups as well, and I just would love to see that just continue to grow. In my 20s, no church I went to had a singles ministry, but I would still say that my time in, the, in my 20s were some of my richest years in my personal relationship with God and in my experience of community within the church. It's awesome. So I just lay that out. The scripture has so much to encourage our singles. And I just praise God for uh, the singles in, in Parkview Church. Okay? Now, this will blend us straight into this topic of biblical community. And John McHale is going to teach this for us. Come on up, John. Uh, John is our pastor of community group ministry. Here, and he's going to take this middle section of the sermon. Can you guys give it up for John? That'd be great. Well, thank you. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. As Doug said, my name is John McHale, and I get to serve this church um, in community group world. Um, and my heart for Parkview is to see us grow in a passion for biblical community because God has designed us for it. Um, and you can go many places in Scripture to see this. Um, and this morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. And in this passage, what Paul is doing is he's comparing the physical body to the church community. Um, read with me, uh, starting in verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul's going to go on further to develop this comparison. And as he does, he confronts two lies that are always present in the local church. They were present in the church in Corinth, and they're present in Parkview Church. And here are the lies. The first lie is, I am not needed. The second lie is, I have no need of you. And so all I want to do is show how Paul confronts those two lies and illustrates our need for biblical community. You ready? Okay, first lie. I am not needed. Paul confronts this head on in verse 15. Look at verse 15. He says, If the foot should say, Because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body. Paul says, That would not make it any less a part of the body. No matter how much you think you're not a part of the body, Paul says, Uh uh, that ain't happening. It's actually impossible for that to be true. If you're in Jesus, you are a part of his body. In Paul's vision of the church community, everyone is significant. Everyone has a purpose in the body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, singles, married, introvert, extrovert, everyone is dignified. And God has designed it to work this way. He's given each of you gifts. He's ordained all of your life, given you experiences, circumstances. He's given each of us distinct and unique personalities. All of this to equip the body. You were uniquely created to add distinct value to the body. And if this is true, 
If Paul's right, then you are called to give, to pour your lives out for the sake of the church community. Now this, we're talking about biblical community, this changes the way we think about biblical community. And it changes it because biblical community is not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and being his body. And yes, you're a part of that. The body of Christ has priorities in itself. And you're wrapped up into those priorities, but you're not the focus. The focus is on the person and work of Jesus and being his body. That's the first lie. The second lie, I have no need of you. And Paul confronts this lie very, I mean, explicitly in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Uh, if you think about a moment that you were incredibly thirsty, um, and there's a, you can see the glass of water on the table, but you can't, in order to grab the glass to take a drink, you need the hand to bring it to your mouth. There is a dangerous pride that exists when a Christian thinks he or she doesn't need biblical community. And his point is clear. If we were to say his point is this, we desperately need each other to fulfill God's call upon our lives. And we have to believe that. We need each other. Now, when we use this term community, it's kind of a trendy word, fancy word, but I, I want to help us think about the way, um, what we mean when we say community. I want you to think less events and programs and think more flow of life. The Sunday gathering and the church gathers is a beautiful, special thing, but it's only part of what we do as Christians. The rest of the week, God calls us to live as his body. Now, this is, sorry, I'm having a, issues with my microphone. I'm not staying on my ear. Part of the body. <laughs> now, they, this is hard because there's a common mis misconception to get this idea. And that is the way we think about church. Um, and you'll hear it when people say, uh, we're going to go to church today. And I, I say it too. But the reality is you, you don't go to church. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. And there is grace. But let me encourage us to start changing the way we talk about church in order that we could start believing this identity that we have as the people of Christ. And so if this is true, then what we can say about community groups is it's not just another event or program that you add to your busy schedule. Community groups exist to help you be the body of Christ seven days a week. Um, and it's not easy, it's messy, um, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, but it's good because you were designed for it. And it compels us to go deeper with fewer, to live life with one another, to confess sin to one another, to pour our lives out for the sake of Jesus and his mission together. And there's a really cool thing. When we live as the body of Christ seven days a week, we become the literal presence of Christ on earth. In other places, Paul is going to say, Jesus is the head, we are his body. But in this passage, it's synonymous. He doesn't distinguish between the two. To be his body is to be Jesus on earth. And that naturally launches us into mission. Because if we're going to fully embody the presence of Jesus on earth, we're going to be passionate about mission. It's my joy this morning to introduce a new community group. You guys can go ahead and make your way on the stage. We are sending out on mission to the city of Williamsburg a new community group. For the past eight weeks, we've been meeting together at Parkview, all in preparation to send them out um, to make disciples in the city of Williamsburg. Um, and so I want to put them before you 
And we're going to pray over them and send them out as a church. Oh yeah, that's good right there. So if, if, you, could, if you could raise your hand as you would be laying a hand on them, I'm going to pray over them. We're going to send them out um, and then Doug's going to come on up. We love you guys. Uh, we're thrilled to see what the Lord's going to do. Um, let me pray for you um, and commission you out. Uh, Father, um, we thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you for um, pursuing us even when we don't pursue you. Uh, you are good and faithful and gracious to us. Pray for this community group. Um, pray that you would bless them and keep them. Pray that you would um, use them to build your kingdom in the city of Williamsburg. Um, use them. Give them great favor as they go to this city and pour their lives out for the sake of Jesus and his mission. We love you and we trust you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Go ahead. All right, that's awesome. And I, I, I know many of you are in groups too and we equally just are excited about you reaching your neighborhoods and your community. Um, I know one just started in West Branch months ago that's awesome some people in tiffin they say hey where's ours in tiffin we want to start one too that's awesome okay so our desire and john's desire to be to help as and as many of us as possible get into community groups that'd be great so um what we're going to do now is try to tackle a few of the questions that we got last week to kind of wrap this uh god's design series up okay so um we it looks like we have about 13 minutes in this hour. We only had 10 last hour, so uh, that was brutal. It's already going to be brutal. Um, we got a bunch of questions. This was maybe an ex uh, a mistake to try to just wrap up a series with a bunch of questions, but let's, let's give it a shot. Um, by the way, if you're brand new with us this morning, glad you're here. We're, you're on the tail end of seven straight weeks of looking at some pretty, we've been in the deep end of the pool. Okay, like, how does the Bible respond to marriage and sexuality and all these things? One of the questions came up, and apparently I've been wearing a striped shirt every week and said, did Doug wear a striped shirt to fit the set design? So, and I, my kids got a kick out of that. I said, no, that's mainly that Lori didn't hide my striped shirts because I've been wearing them too much. So, um, no, that's, I appreciate the comedy relief. But um, I love this first question because it frames really all of the other ones as well, and there were several like this one. How can you speak of God's design if so many believers disagree? In other words, like, aren't you just elevating one denomination over all the others? Isn't this just Parkview's view of God's design? And I just, I appreciated that. Um, let me just uh, say right away, anytime we teach anything from this church, uh, it's gotta be from God's word. It's gotta be from the scripture. I, we had, you know, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. I'll be honest, I don't care much about denominations. I do care about what God says in his word, like, in, and we need to follow that. And so when, when Dr. Christopher Yuan was with us, he's the Bible scholar from Chicago who had a series of his life, time of his life, relived as an openly gay man. And when he started reading the scripture, he saw that the scripture had a whole different way for him to live. When he, he presented to us for about three hours on a Saturday night, um, a lot of different uh, things about how can you understand how the Bible speaks to today's culture, particularly in the topic of sexuality. He used this chart that I thought was really helpful. Um, we would say at Parkview, we try to be what would be called the traditional or the orthodox um, strain of Christianity, that, that throughout the centuries, Christians have believed that the Bible is the word of God and that the Bible is our authority. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So anytime I teach, you don't really want to care what I think. You want to care about what God says in his word, okay? So, so the order there is that scripture is truth. You have scripture uh, elevated first. And then God has given us a capacity to reason and to study and has given us uh, research and science. And so uh, as scripture will present truth to us, then God loves it when we use knowledge, experience, uh, knowledge and research to, to discover more about his truth. All truth is God's truth. And so what we discover will not contradict the Bible. It will actually help us expand our understanding of the Bible. And so what you see in third place there 
and on that chart is uh, experience. And so uh, the Bible commends us to study God's word, to know what God says, and then to put it to practice. And that's where we see the power of the word of God in our lives. Not when we just know a lot about it, and Jesus was big on that in his day. He attacked the religious leaders because they knew a lot about scripture, they just didn't do it. And so Jesus said, you need to know the scripture and you need to do it. So that's, that's the order there. And so what, what propels us to do that is that we believe that God is good. And so when God teaches us something, uh, and God commands us something, that's because he, he, he set this up. He's the designer. He loves us. And so he's commanding us to do things because he's not robbing our joy or killing our lives. He's, he's actually intending for us to flourish, okay? So Dr. Yuan said what we've seen particularly in the last 15 or 20 years would be a revisionist view, let's say specifically on his topic, of sexuality. And so I would add that there's a third one. There, there have been a liberal, there have been liberal Christians over the years that basically would just say, well, the Bible's not the word of God anyway. Let's take scripture out and let's just go for knowledge, reason, and experience, okay? But, but what's been newer in the last 15 or 20 years is, is this order uh, that the revisionist view of scripture. So a revisionist would still uphold scripture, say they uphold scripture, but notice where, where scripture falls in its line of authority, that what now is at the top is experience. And then we use our knowledge and we use science to help explain our experience. And then now we let those things speak into the scripture. And so, for example, in the topic of sexuality, what Dr. Yuan threw out as examples were, for example, if somebody um, would say, well, my, now my, I, my son is gay, or I have a very close friend who is gay. Whoa, now my experience is different. So now let's look at this topic again. Let's, let's use my reasoning. Let's use my, and then now let's see if we can just maybe interpret scripture differently. And what I loved, and this is all online for you to listen to um, on your own as well, but Dr. Yuan spent at least an hour on a Saturday night unpacking the five passages in the Bible that talk about homosexuality and um, try to show us this is traditionally what, how this has been read, but recently this is how the revisionists are taking these passages, and how do you respond to those? So I think what what's undergirds any conversation we have has got to be that order that Scripture is our authority. We, we use our reason, and our, our, our science, and our study to understand Scripture, and then we obey it. So the second question had a lot to do with this topic. Um, and so maybe the best way to phrase the, the numerous questions I got were something like, would be something like this. If homosexuality is a sin, then why did God design gay people? Okay, so let me go back to our scripture and then knowledge and then experience here. Um, first of all, the Bible clearly teaches that every single one of us have been created in his image, male and female. And so we talked about this way back at the beginning of the series. That means every person on this planet bears the image of God and is dignified by that. And that that means that as believers in God, it is our calling to love every person on this planet, regardless of race or gender or social economic status or how they identify themselves sexually. And I can just flat out say that the American church, that the evangelical church has done an absolutely horrific job of extending uh, that kind of dignity and that kind of unconditional love that we say we've received from God to the LGBT community. We have absolutely failed that. I mean, at best, in many ways, the evangelical church has, has just turned away from and kept at a distance the LGBT community. And that is an absolute sin. And you could even go way beyond that to oppression and bullying, bullying and uh, just horrific things that have been done in the name of Christ, the names that have been called, okay? That is not at all reflective of the biblical picture that we have all been created in the image of God. Are, you, are we in agreement on that? Because really it makes no point to go on and talk about other topics, about uh, what, how we should respond to homosexuality until we own that, church. That, that, not saying every one of us, but I would say as a whole, we have done a poor job of that. And you look at how God has loved us and that he has pursued us. Um, he has accepted us uh, as we are. Um, Dr. Yuan made a great nuance here. He said, God accepts us as we are 
but he doesn't approve of everything about us, but he accepts us as we are. I said God loves us and he accepts us, but he loves us too much to let us stay like we are, right? And so what God does and in his love is that he reveals truth to us. He reveals truth in how we have stepped away from his design. And so my second point is, church first, we have got to love uh, all people on this planet, all races, all ethnicities, all nationalities, all um, gender identities and sexual identities. We've got to love with the same relentless love that God has shown toward us. But then second, I would say we've got to love them like Jesus has loved us. And you look at how Jesus walked among us. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So it gets back to what I was just saying. That in his grace, he accepts us where we are, but that he longs for us to know the truth. Jesus says, if um, you know the truth, you will be my disciples. If you abide in my truth, then you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so Jesus says, what I would long for all of you is to identify yourselves as my disciples, that basically as a disciple is a student, that you identify Jesus as the savior of the world, as the wisest person that's ever lived, and that when he teaches us how to live, it's our posture to learn from him and then to do what he says. And when that happens, he says we are set free. The truth sets us free. And so if we are to truly love people who um, maybe at this point disagree with what the Bible says is God's design, if we are to truly love them, we like Jesus, need to be full of grace and truth. We can't just say, oh, well, that's what they believe. Who am I to say what they, that's lazy. That's, you're not really loving them. Your desire would be for them to know the love and the acceptance of God, but also to know the truth of God and what he would long to set them free to into something even better than the identity they're clinging to right now. And so um, so when you look at the scripture, we've done this several times over the last couple of weeks. You look at Genesis 1 and 2, for example, God has created us male and female. That God has designed marriage to be between one man and one woman. That God has designed sexuality to be enjoyed by that one man and that one woman in the context of marriage. That's God's design. And um, anything that we do beyond that is stepping outside of God's design and uh, the Bible, that's what happened in Genesis 3 when the first man and woman rejected God's design. They believed the lies. God isn't good. I can't trust him and I can be God. I can decide to do things how I want to do them and things will work out fine. And so we all believe that lie and it has shattered uh, our image of God, our relationship with God. And I, I would say the same thing is happening in our world today that people have rejected either doubting God's goodness or or thinking their plan is better, and they have stepped away uh, from that. And so um, there are some texts in the Bible we need to look at for that. Um, when Dr. Yuan was here, he walked us through five of them, Genesis 19, Leviticus 13 and 20, uh, Romans 1 um, is a great one for that, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. But just to really understand what the truth is and then make sure that as we understand that, we start applying it. Uh, the passage I do want us to look, look at just a little bit here this morning, I think, um, speaks well into this. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, where it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. So that's a general statement. Um, today, that could be pornography. Uh, that could be uncontrolled lust. Um, um, just any any kind of sex outside of God's design for marriage, okay? Idolatry, um, that's basically worshiping and trusting something else other than Jesus Christ to satisfy you. Um, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's why these are big topics. Somebody said, why can't we just you know, leave these issues alone, or somebody's question said, why are we worrying about a political agenda? There's nothing political about this. We're not talking about donkeys and elephants. We're, we're talking about God and his design of us, okay? So, um, and so there's, there's a couple things in that passage. Like, I think we could look at that list, and every one of us could look for something there, like, whoa, that's me. Like, I, I, I am a fallen uh, I'm created by God, but I'm fallen, and I look for other places now to satisfy me and fulfill me. Um, and, uh, 
And yet God moved in with us and God loved us. God moved toward us even when we were in that situation. Look at verse 11 where the, the end of this passage says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so there's hope for every one of us that if those are our battles and those are our struggles um, and those are all divergent from what God has designed us to do, God still moves toward us and there is hope for every, every one of us uh, again, as we seek God, as we want to trust God, as we see God as the good designer, um, these are all, these are all, I would call them temptations. These are all battles that, that God can walk us through to a place through Jesus Christ where we can be set free, where the truth can set us free. And so um, man, there are many things that even that, what I just said, raises so many questions. Let me point you to a couple resources. Our elders and pastors have been studying this since July. Uh, we have had uh, uh, workshops where we've equipped community group leaders, youth leaders in this. We've spent like an hour, hour and a half in those blocks. A couple weeks ago, we invited anybody to come to those are way better contexts to talk through this. We can talk and discuss, look at scripture and talk and discuss. If we need to do more of those, I would love to do more of those. Let me, let me give you a couple resources that have been incredibly helpful to us. Uh, I've mentioned Dr. Christopher Yuan a couple different times. He's the man who was here. You can find him on YouTube. We've got his book in our resource center. Uh, there's one we haven't mentioned much of. This, I would start here with this book. It's, it's called Is God Anti-Gay? And it's by Sam Alberry. He is a pastor who uh, has, uh, he says, he describes, um, he struggles with same-sex attraction, but yet out of his obedience to Christ and to God's design, he chooses to live as a celibate man. He is not going to act on those, uh, those desires. This, this book will take you right to the key scriptures, will unpack them for you, uh, he weaves in his narrative. And then I think one of the strengths of this book is he handles seven commonly asked questions. And look at, look at this. Like, very helpful, okay? Good, good starting point. Another author I would love, two more I'd love you, for you to know about, uh, Rosaria Butterfield is, is a, f a phenomenal story of a woman who um, in the late 90s taught at Syracuse University in feminist studies and in the English department. Um, tenured professor, was living in an openly lesbian uh, relationship um, in a lesbian uh, community in many ways, hated Christians, and did a research project on the Promise Keeper movement because she, she hated it. But it, 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 her research required her to read scripture, sometimes for a couple hours a day. And as an English scholar, she was drawn to the beauty of the scripture. And as she continued to read the scripture and was befriended by a pastor who never forced the gospel on her, never invited her to church, just answered her questions. Through that journey, she ended up, as Christopher Yuan would describe it, seeing herself as, uh, as living, wanting to live by God's design for sexuality, holy sexuality. And so um, another powerful, powerful story. So um, these are crucial topics, um, and I would encourage you to continue uh, to talk and to pray and to discuss, and again, if we need to in other venues where we can do a little more q and I would love to do that. Okay, so, wow, I'm, I've used my time. I have two minutes, let's do this. Um, I, just wanna, I just wanna mop something up from last week. We talked about God's design for marriage, and uh, God's design for a uh, husband in marriage is to be a sacrificial leader and to lay down his, wife, his life for his wife, okay? Nowhere in the scripture does it say husbands uh, force your leadership on your wife, right? That, that's a sin. It's against God's design. And if there's any marriage in here this morning, if there's any wife in any way who's being abused um, under the guise of biblical marriage, that is a flat-out flat lie. Husbands, we are called to lay down our lives for our wives, right? Amen on that, guys? And so we... we <laughs> we help each other, we pull for each other, we confront each other when we don't, don't see that. But, but women, we, we, you need to know that, that that is the heart of the scripture. And so if that, and there is no perfect marriage in this room, but if there are some broken places in marriages where men are abusing that, please, um, 
please let um, some friends know, let the let leadership here know so we can pray and enter in and protect. But that is not, that is not God's design. All right, so, but our huge takeaway from this whole thing, you guys, is, is an amazing concept that this, the creator of all this amazing universe has designed every one of us to be in relationship with him. We have rejected that, every one of us. That's what the Bible describes as the fall. But yet Jesus moved toward us to redeem us and to restore us into a relationship with God. What I want you to bottom line remember is that you've been designed to be loved by God and so filled with him, like David said, your love is better than life, that it just frees you up then, not to use people and manipulate people, but it frees you up to serve people and to point them to the life that you found in Jesus Christ. That's bottom line. And I see that happening in so many ways in this church. I'm so thankful for you and so thankful for what God is doing, so thankful for his design. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you um, for your design. I thank you for your patience with us. I pray that you would help us just continually just trust you and seek you. I thank you that you are good and that we will never in our lives say, I trusted God too much or God let me down. That will never be our narrative. The story will be God is faithful. God is good. God has pursued me. God, would you help us be a church that, that is serious about studying your scripture, understanding you and your design so that we can live as you've called us to live. And may this community, may jaws just drop at how uh, just an average group of people from a certain church just are just showing this world what it looks like to be in relationship with God. We'd be humble, joyful, passionate, and serve, serve this community and serve this world just like you have served us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.